0: Welcome to 3, a show about Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic. I'm Gil Gross, host of Monday Match Analysis with outstanding tennis journalists Joel Drucker and Amy Lundy. A little bit later on, we're going to be getting into longevity. It is 2021, folks. Happy New Year. The 3 have made it another year. But first, Roger Federer has withdrawn from the Australian Open despite the date being pushed back to February 8th. His knee just was not ready, Joel.
1: Well, I think Federer, he wants to be exceptionally careful. I think he's really pointing 2021 towards Wimbledon and the Olympics in Tokyo. I think those are really going to be kind of the cornerstones of his year. He's going to be 40 in August. And we have no idea if he was 97%, 91%, 85%. Either way, I think he just wants to be as cautious as possible. And again, we all know there's a lot of things that attend this Australian Open this year. I mean, people barely have played and there's a quarantine cycle and there's a whole training limitation so I think that you know what just not quite right and uh it's unfortunate I mean I wrote a story about it last week about his connection with the tournament and uh it's uh we're all gonna miss him and he's won the, he's won the tournament so often he's really made a mark there. That was a it good was, story.
2: You could you could look at that 12 second viral cell phone video that some diplomat captured in dubai it was two backhand returns and you could tell he didn't have the hops he was loading but he wasn't hopping forward like he normally does and at one point even in that very short video you could see him sort of hang his head and um you just knew He's not right yet. He's testing. Wait, He's wait, still did in you the
1: test. Did you know when you said last yes. week, when you spoke about that, did you know that he was going to withdraw? Did you know no. something? You know?
2: <laughs> no idea. What, what happened for those of you who don't know, yeah. we okay. recorded hours before he was going to withdraw. And... Um, I said I, I was really disheartened by that video like a lot of people on Twitter were like oh it's so wonderful to see him hitting balls again and as soon as I saw that my heart just went into my stomach because I knew that that's not him and any of us who have played know what it's like to come back from an injury, and you're in that testing phase, like I'm testing out my ankle, my wrist, my elbow, whatever, and you could tell that he was testing the knee, and there was no way that he would be ready to go.
1: Wow, so, I thought it was just, I thought it was just, sometimes a tweet is just a tweet, but boy, from now on, I'm going to pay a lot more attention. Uh, I I see a player, an Aaron toss, a shanked
2: volley, <laughs>
0: they're, all, yeah. they're all...
2: Break it down, Joel. <laughs> That's right.
0: Yeah, I, I guess I look at this two ways. Um, one is I think Joel is right that like if you if you're 90 percent, you're probably not going to go to Australia. And first of all, you're starting with best of five, which is always probably a little bit nerve wracking. But when you throw in the, the quarantine and all the stress and the, the ordeal of of what it takes to travel to Australia right now, this isn't a situation where where you might go to Melbourne and then decide, eh, I'm not ready. I'm not going to play. And and that would have been a, a feasible option in years past, right? But not this year. You're not going to do that.
1: Well, also remember, Federer has had other physical things. Even last year in Australia, his body betrayed him at the end of the tournament. I mean, he kind of his way past Millman and Sandgren after overcoming seven match points. Gets to the semis. And it's pretty much clear from the outset in that semi with Novak that if he could steal that first set, maybe he'd have a chance. But once he lost that first set, his back, his body. So I think, I think there's a lot of physical stuff with Federer that we'll never quite know the full extent of. And he just wants to be super, super careful because if he hurt himself in Australia, that would tumble out to the whole year. That could have implications for the whole year. So he wants to have training, fitness, everything just right. So he can try to get himself
0: for Wimbledon in those Olympics. I agree. But I I think it also needs to be said that in my mind, there's no doubt that this recovery period dragged out longer than Roger expected it to. Because when he had that second surgery in the summer and he said he experienced a setback in his in his recovery, he said, I'll see you for the start of twenty twenty-one. Well, the 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 one guy who was probably celebrating hardest that the Aussie Open was pushed back to February was Roger Federer, and he still couldn't make that date. So I don't think that there's any way that Roger expected that, you know, when when he suffered the injury, when he had his his surgery, one, I think it was in, in February, and then another in the summer, uh, maybe June, when he had both of those surgeries, I don't think there was any way that he thought that he wouldn't be ready for a February tournament.
2: Gil, what's the next slam after Australia? Let's think about this. The French. Right. Is there any way he's going to come back on clay? Let's just go straight to grass. <laughs> it's,
1: all about, it's all about Wimbledon. It's all about body management and balance and footwork and feeling just right. And that's right. Maybe even play a clay tournament or two, but maybe not play the French. And again, the schedule's his to. To pick and choose as he wants i mean the the, the structure of the tennis is such roger Federer can play when and where he wants to and yes, that's correct the go.
2: yes and that
1: way that's what it is when you're the 39 year old roger fetter
2: but guys i don't ever make predictions i i don't do that game i like to just come out with whatever and let people who like to predict listen to that and make up their own mind but i would like to predict this that we haven't seen him play his last professional match.
1: Oh, no. Oh, that's, yes, I, I think that's eminently safe. Yeah. yeah, ask the people in Basel where he has the uh, agreement. He's mm-hmm. going to have a life, he's going to play that some and then there's Labor Cup. Maybe there's a whole intelligence that this guy brings, just like he brings the way he plays, the way he trains, to the way he schedules. Everything about him is kind of like
0: carefully thought out, and that's great.
2: I, I just don't think he would want to end it this way.
0: Oh, no, I agree with you. The question, I mean, uh, does he want to end it in pandemic conditions without a full crowd? If he, if Roger Federer wants a proper mm. send off, then he's going to need to wait this out at least until 2022, when, when he can get fans in the stands and, and get kind of a, a proper send off, right?
2: Well, that's what we want. That's yeah. really what we want.
1: Yeah. But there's no, you know, you look at all the players in the sport and it, it, there's a, uh, proper proper yeah they're all different for they've all done it in many different ways it happened with a match it happened like Pete Sampras it was an intentional send-off he didn't he didn't mean that to be he didn't know that was going to be his last match and then it turned out it was Andre Agassi we knew it was going to happen and then it happens. everyone there's no there's no you know who knows and a lot of and the x factor is really his body is how his body feels so that's going to be the x factor e- even more than scheduling than surfaces than fan attendance I mean, if the body isn't cooperating, what proper, whatever. Mm
0: -hmm. We we all know as as three tennis players, the enjoyment level is based on how good your body feels. At Mm -hmm. least for me, like when I'm even even though I'm young, you know, I'm not always pain free. Unfortunately. When I am, that's when I'm enjoying the game the most. And the only reason Roger Federer is still playing, let's face it, sure he's chasing history, he's chasing numbers, but he's still playing because he's still enjoying himself. The same reason why Venus Williams is still playing. That's right, that's true.
2: It's a a game of um, unpredictable twists and turns when you're on the court. It's not like you can plan that you'll be reaching for a ball or whatever. So if you have a significant injury, that has kept you away from the court when you come back there's an element of fear yeah. you know there's an element of is this going to hold up
1: and it's so not he,
2: he's got to pass through that that tunnel and get out on the other side
1: and it's not like a team sport where you can say okay I'll, I'll come in the game for a few minutes and they'll pull me when right can, exactly you've got, pitch, you've got to pitch a complete game you've got to <clears throat> every down so great point so it's a whole, um, we'll see. It's It'll be interesting to see. Of course it's interesting to see. And we all, and the world, the world awaits.
0: Let's talk about longevity uh, because all of them have been prime examples, uh, success stories of longevity in professional men's tennis. Amy, how do you think that they've managed themselves? And what do you think the keys are to why they've been able to not just continue to play, but continue to play at an amazing level for so long.
2: Gil, this is actually a sexier topic than it would appear on the surface because it relates not only to all of us as human beings, but it relates to the the sport that we're all so passionate about and the professionals that play it, how they manage their body and their careers, their schedules. And every body is different. So it's not like Federer can come up with the way to do it. And we should all just follow that. Although I I do think that generally speaking, he's got a pretty good system. The thing that is cool about our three is that they each have sort of a hallmark of the way that they've managed their longevity. Um, Federer's relates to this activity, this um, always being active, always being light on your feet, always doing these um, not super, super intense, like you don't see Federer dragging tires like Jim Currier used to do or Andy Murray has done, but it's more about this light activity. Um, And I think Pierre Paganini is the one behind his entire philosophy. Novak, he's known for uh, the food, you know, he changed his diet, and, and he's plant-based. Um, and that really was a big turning point for him in his career. And sort of as the food goes, Novak goes. I mean, sometimes people say he gets too thin, um, or, you know, he, he's doing this out or the other. And of course, Rafa, his philosophy is all in. Just go as hard as you can. Um, work, work ethic, work ethic, work ethic, and I will work ethic my way to victory.
1: Well, essentially, that's, that's a great analysis of all three of them. I think Nadal is the one we know the least about his off-court gestalt. Um, though, you know, we see him biking and we see, you know, after matches and all of it. But again, the things they do during tournaments are, are often vastly different than what they do in the in the off weeks, but we don't know as much. There hasn't been as much known about the the Nadal off court gestalt. Uh, whereas Federer, you're right. Federer and, and Novak. I mean, Novak is so about keeping that body just right, and this food and this lean mean machine kind of thing. And Federer, it's about nimble, playful. I mean, I, I think I think Paganini is a genius. I think he mm-hmm. he is he's more important to Federer than anyone on that team. Those other guys, Severin and, uh, and Lubaček are great. Yeah. They, they might know something about tennis that Roger Federer doesn't know, maybe incrementally, but boy, Paganini knows a whole bunch of things that Federer doesn't know about how to keep the body going. I mean, you talk about like a pit crew and that's where Federer's going, what do I do to keep he Federer doesn't know how his body works. He, he does from working with Paganini, but that's a second language to him. The first language is the tennis. So it is just, I mean, I think that guy is. When the story of Feder is told, he will be the one that we will want to know what he did, just to keep Feder so supple and uh, enduring.
0: Sometimes I wonder if it can be taught, uh, or if it's now. I, I want to give you know as as much credit as you did to to Pagnini, but uh, you watch Roger Feder move around the court, and we've we've talked about this before. It just looks like there's less stress on his body than really anyone else who, who I've seen play in my, in my life. I think though, oh, you know, I, think,
1: I think balance and foot, I think that stuff can be taught. I mean, as well as Roger Federer, of course, no, not, yeah. but I don't think he came out of the womb. This is a game of skill. And I think this gets back to an interesting conversation that I think uh, that's gonna inform all three of us all the time because each of us comes from tennis, comes to tennis from different different backgrounds, different learning, different people. And I think absolutely. I think it has to do with, this is where I, I talk to you, Gil, about the whole Spanish and suffering. gestalt. Federer's thing, why, why why, should I suffer? Why don't I just play? It's a game. Let me figure out a way to enjoy it. Now, you have to build the arsenal to do it. And in some ways, a guy like Federer may have worked even harder than Nadal to make it look that simple, that mm-hmm. easy. Mm-hmm. You know, Nadal, all the work is right there in front of you. Here, it's happening. And the encore thing is is is, and that's been the key to his longevity, too. I mean, and, and some of this, some of this is—it's like, does does the person make the game? Does the game make the person? Does the, the personality drive what? It, sometimes, sometimes I wonder when I look at people in the game. Is it fortune? Is like, yeah, the guy at my nearby facility happens to teach a certain kind of way, and that worked for mm-hmm. me, or it didn't.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I have three sort of colorful anecdotes relating to longevity for each player, and I'll start with Novak. And you guys can like jump in anytime you want. Um, Novak has a friend named Gordon Euling, who uh, was a tennis player. I think he was ranked in the 400s. They became friends way back before Novak was was big. And um, Gordon has uh, a facility or at his home in New Jersey, he has courts, all the different surfaces. He's really into technology. And he came up with a hyperbaric egg or he has this where where you it's like a hyperbaric chamber where you sit in it. Novak being the guy who loves also technology loves to tweak and experiment with different things, he will from time to time sit in this egg. And I believe he really thinks that it helps him heal and um you know that that he believes at least that that may contribute to his longevity.
1: Well wait, well it's this I like this. So Novak I think is kind of the it's this interesting thing of science and faith,
2: you know, yes. there's, something a
1: little, there's something a little mystical about the Novak approach to longevity. It's science, it's faith. It's, it's, uh, it's philosophy. It's, it's, it's the way he articulates. And, and so, so let's hear your other one. And we can, yeah, but
0: let's make no mistake. I just want to say players can, can learn from that in in a big way. And that's, that's professionalism to, to leave a match. You're done playing. Your your job is, is over. And I, I say over with air quotes, No, the match isn't over. You have a match in in a day or two days now. Now you recover and recovery is active. And that's like this buzzword that you hear trainers say all the time. But I think that that's a big deal. And I think a lot of recreational players get off the court and they're done at the expense of of their body.
2: True. I mean, how many times have I wished that I had somebody to massage me after a
0: match? (laughs) So that's the other thing, with these guys. That's the other
1: thing, with these guys. The, the rewards have become so great. There's so much more money in tennis, even than there was 20 years ago, that they've got pit crews. You know, that that they have a whole, I mean, those guys, those are our three guys, but lots of other players have someone measuring everything all day long. I mean, think of it. It's like, yeah, after every practice session, after every match, you had someone tending to your body. You know, wow, how's that cat? Let's take a look at that calf. Instead of instead of having to kind of like uh, you know try to book a session with a physio in twelve days, right. they got it. They're right there. They're right on yeah. it. So, so tell. Let's, let's hear your other two anecdotes, Amy.
2: Okay, so I'll go to Rafa. This, I believe, was in his book. Um, I'm obsessed with this. So there's aerobic sports and there's anaerobic sports right so the way you would train for a marathon by running miles and miles and miles would not necessarily be the way that you train for a tennis match because remember in tennis you're go 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 rest 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 and there's a lot of time between points that 30 seconds or longer so you go 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 rest 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 that's a different type of heart and muscle training than running miles and miles we all get that right Mm -hmm. so rafa uh, to train his body for tennis will at times this is one of the things that he does he'll get on a treadmill and he'll put on a tennis match it might be one of his matches it might be roger versus novak and when the ball is live he will run 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 and run run his ass off and then when the ball is dead he walks, he walks, he walks, he walks. And then when it's live again, and he does this for hours. And I just think that has got to be one of the smartest ways to train ever. And I'll admit, I, I tried it with a rowing machine. I was row, 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 rest, 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 rest. It lasted all of about five minutes, and I just couldn't <laughs> do it
1: anymore. <laughs> World class athletes. I mean, that's, you know, it's interesting. That's a, that's a fascinating technique it'd be interesting to try though on a on a limited no ad set yeah <laughs> watch i'm gonna watch a world team tennis set no ad to five and i'll see if i can do that because i think that this is where it's kind of fun and tricky to do the whole learning from the pros gestalt that we like you know it's kind of it's kind of like when you see it's kind of like when you see people who are barely hanging out of play using uh luxlon strings and trying to hit windshield wiper forehands and they barely started to play and, they, and they're and they going to hurt themselves. You know, they're not, or, or so it's really, but but there's something, what I like about that Nadal, it's kind of, there's something kind of simple about it. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's not, it's not Paganini. It's not an egg. It's just right. kind of, <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of like, I mean, who, who even knows you have a treadmill? Why don't you just run in place? I'm just going to run in place. I'm going to just run in place for five minutes. You, you see, yeah. I mean, it's kind of so, it sort of gets to sort of the high of the, uh, Elemental simplicity, and that's a compliment to how Nadal goes about training.
0: Well, if I'm on a track, I'm doing something a little bit similar. If a track is an oval, I'm walking the shorts and sprinting the longs, and yeah. I, that's what I was told to do as a tennis player. Uh, running long distance is a is an argument I think that a lot of coaches have. Mm-hmm. Is, is it good? Is it bad? Mm-hmm. Um, my my coach would, would say it's good for the mental. So it's Mm -hmm. worth it. Mm -hmm. Uh, but yeah, I've, I've always hated running long distance. And, um, that's been, if I'm on a track, I'm always going to walk the shorts and just sprint the longs. Well, yeah, just,
2: just to throw in, this is apropos of nothing. Um, I, my coach has brought me around to running long distance too. long distance for me is like three miles or two miles. Um, it, there is some anecdotal evidence, if you look on the National Institutes of Health U.S. website, there's some new anecdotal evidence that run distance running actually improves, interestingly, reaction time. Hmm. So, and I've seen all three of them do distance running as part of their training regimens.
1: Well, but, but wait, you've seen, seen Federer run five miles, three miles?
2: I've seen him doing training distance running, yeah. Like mm-hmm. how long? Miles. Miles. Boy, this is, you're pinning me down. This is years ago. I can probably find it because there's video of it.
1: It's um, long distance running has been imprinted. Miles,
2: think, not like 10 miles, but maybe three miles or four miles, something like that.
1: Well, there's a stamina aspect, but I think there used to be a much more of a cult around long distance running and tennis because of the running thing. But then it's been proven, look, tennis is, I, I work with a, uh, Pilates instructor once, and she said, I'm going to help you get to the balls you can't get. I go, oh, you don't have to do that. It's a three-yard game. <laughs> I played a lot of matches because I couldn't reach a ball. Uh-huh. I mean, if I can't, if I'm playing someone and I'm constantly not able to touch a ball, I'm massively overmatched. I mean, mm-hmm. I should, you know what I mean? I'm playing someone who's who's way better. Mostly we lose matches because here it is right in front of you, do something productive, do something productive, and, and you don't. So that's, it's a game of short explosive movements, but but this stuff may be the mix of things. And again, what's what's neat about world-class athletes is it's it's a job, it's a profession. It's eight to ten hours a day of time. So so I can do my cross courts for an hour, I can practice surge for 30 minutes, I, I can then do my off court. I mean, there are a whole bunch of things that can be done around around the tennis day after day. But those that's that's interesting. We to explore more about what the what the movement. Movement uh, things are that again, and we're talking about longevity. And look how these guys have kind of rewritten. I mean, you look at Novak, thirty-three is the new twenty-six. Roger, <laughs> thirty-nine. 30, I mean, it, it for a long time, it was uh, thirty was considered, and in all sports. I mean, Tom Brady, LeBron James, all sports. The whole longevity markers have just been obliterated. And again, there's been so much. I mean, you look back at how athletes used to treat their bodies. 56 years ago they didn't know and and uh, nutrition and all this stuff
2: yes totally so are you ready for the Federer one yeah
0: yeah. yeah okay oh yeah.
2: this is courtesy strokes of genius John Wertheim I read so many things in that book that I will never forget but this is chief among them Roger's pre-match meal I mean as you said Joel world-class athletes he he could or if he doesn't have a traveling chef right if wanted to um they can literally eat the picture perfect thing so at the time this book was written his pre-match meal was a plate of pasta which we know he loves pasta a diet coke and a kit kat
1: <laughs> did, you try, did you try that amy did you try that one
2: Oh, I try that kind of thing on a daily basis. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, it also shows how well these guys are, uh, you know, how well, how fit they are anyway, that, you know, pasta was, was a, had a big thing in the nineties. I mean, that was a big Pete Sampras thing. And now I think, oh, well, what, pasta less so now is right. What's, what skill? what's the, well, it's,
2: nah. it's a, it's a simple carb. And that, that carbohydrate is needed for the type of match that he plays. So it, it's really kind of, um, probably a good thing because he needs the quick energy but it just, just the goes the timing to sh- is right yeah exactly and and you know it that's hard for tennis players because rain and you know stuff like that delays you don't know if the women's match or whatever but I think my point here is that as measured as as we think these guys are um, there's probably a huge genetic component to it they were just born that way and that it's probably mentally it's probably okay to indulge if you're roger federer
1: when uh yeah. when i when i was 14 i read that jimmy connors used to have like a, a coke and like a brownie before he played and so i didn't even think had the pasta and they didn't have diet coke then so i tried that a couple of times when i was 14 it was abysmal um <laughs> and then i read something once about milkshakes so i would have milkshakes before It's just who who some of this stuff and some of this stuff is is non-scientific. You're right. It's like, who knows? And it's also about feeling comfortable. I mean, I've seen Fetter I've seen Fedder eating ice cream cones at tournaments and, and he's smiling. It's also what puts you in the right, what puts you in the right place? I mean, I mean, the parallels to this, that we can talk about sometime more is certain practice routines. Like I bet you each of us, based on what we know about tennis and how we approach it, might have a different, uh, okay, how you would practice the three days leading up to a match and what you would do the morning, and what mm-hmm. you'd want to do in the hitting session and what you want to make sure you, um, you did you, what shots you wanted to make sure you had in a good place. Two hours before the match, et cetera.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So it's so, and that's, that's interesting to see how, what these guys do and it's not scientific. I mean, we've talked about how they, how they practice during tournaments and what a fetter pre-match practice looks like compared to an Adal pre-match practice.
0: Not only have we shown that there's no formula to longevity, also their path to longevity is completely different. We've you know Novak has barely aged it appears. Uh Nadal a lot of pundits would would have said in in 2010 that his play style is not going to allow him to play into his 30s because there was going to be injuries. And mm-hmm. while overall they were wrong, they were half right. There have been injuries. It just hasn't mattered. He's mm-hmm. he's rehabbed. He's coming back. The the injuries have not been uh, been terminal to his career in in any uh, you know from any stretch of the imagination, so not only are they doing different things uh, to last long, they're I, also I, taking I, different I... paths.
1: Well, it's funny when uh, Jimmy Connors and Borg were young. Someone wrote the same thing about them. They thought Borg's game was kind of easier on his body, and he could probably last longer. And it seemed like Connors was going to flame himself out. And, of course, the exact opposite happened. And one thing is you look at aspects of technique, you look at aspects of diversity of game, and then with people like Nadal and Connors, you look at the sheer hunger for competition. Because those two, like like Nadal, Nadal has a bloodthirst for competition that our other two don't quite. They have, but they don't have. It's not as vivid. Nadal, like, for example, Nadal, to me, of our three, is the one I'd want playing for the fate of the planet. You know, <laughs> Nadal is kind of like the, the warrior... <laughs> kind of guy I mean Federer on the other hand for my enjoyment for my viewing pleasure I mean what it's pretty fun watching Roger Federer play anyone and Novak Novak is also a genius too he's sort of something I mean they're all great competitors of course but it plays out in different ways and 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 how that fuels their desire and I think obviously I think they're all pushing each other on too that that keeps them in the game longer that these rivals who are still playing and they want to do better
0: hundred percent. That's a factor. All right. Let's get to uh, our new year's resolutions for the big three. 2020 was a, a stressful year. And, uh, you know, I think 2021 it hopefully is less stressful, but uh, I will take my new year's resolution from Novak Djokovic who does such a great job of handling stress on the court by kind of blocking out what's not necessary, right? When the Wimbledon crowd in 2019 was rooting against him, He kind of built a bubble around himself and just focused on what he could control. So my New Year's resolution, manage stress like Novak Djokovic.
2: Gil, um, you took mine, basically. Although I'm going to go, I'm going to twist it a little further. Um, Mine is, you know, I love Roger's style. I try to look at that. I love Rafa's work ethic. I try to emulate that but what i really want to do is look at the way that that serbian don't give a rats butt what people think i need more of that i'm always trying on the court i'm always trying to be the good little girl and have the perfect strokes i want to be the person that accidentally hits somebody and just goes out and wins a tournament the next time i need that don't care mentality more.
1: Wow, you guys are so big picture. That's so macro. but I think I can find a big picture from my little picture, which is to my fellow lefty Nadal. You won't know this gil, but once upon a time people were taught you kind of swung out to the target and the ball was kind of smooth. And you've grown up in the era of racket acceleration. You let the swing go and the racket follows through. That's a big thing for me always with the forehand is to let the swing go. I mean in Nadal is a great example of how you release it, and then you get more everything on the ball. So I want to do that, but maybe then, maybe then the bigger picture is to if I can let you let go of the swing, and that has to do with letting go, right? Which is always, which is always a, mm. a good thing in life. So if maybe, maybe that's it. But again, in a more micro basis, I my resolution is to try to let more swings go on my forehand and just let it fly more and have faith that the ball is going to do what we hope it can do.
2: Nice.
0: I love it. All right. That'll do it for this episode of three. Uh, like the video, leave a comment, make sure you're, you've subscribed on YouTube. And we are also available on all podcast platforms. And we greatly appreciate it. If you leave a rating and a review on Apple, we will see you next time
2: on the next episode of three.